Welcome to The War from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, we're going to bring you an, another episode of the Craft Music Hall. This one's an hour long, but I think you'll find it very entertaining. If nothing else, I would encourage you to take a listen to the last few minutes for a very special uh, performance by Pat O'Brien. But uh, here now from March the 12th, 1942, is the Craft Music Hall hosted by Bing Crosby. Craft Music Hall with Bing Crosby, Mary Martin, Victor Borga, Jerry Lester, John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, and the music maids and Hal. Bing's guests for this Thursday evening in the old Craft Music Hall are Mary I. Barber, the United States Army's dietetic expert, Pat O'Brien of the cinema, and Wingy Manone of the hot trumpet. And here's Bing Crosby. I like New York in June How about you? I like a Gershwin too How about you? I love a fireside When a storm is due I like potato chips, moonlight, motor trips How about you? I'm mad about good books Can't get my fill and Franklin Roosevelt's looks give me a thrill. Holding hands in a movie show when all the lights are low may not be new. But I like it. How about you? I like New York in June. How about you, baby? I like a Gershwin tune, but oh, how about you? I love a fireside when the storm is due. I like potato chips, moonlight, and motor trips. How about you? How about you? I'm mad about good books. Can't get my fill. And Franklin Roosevelt's look give me a thrill. Holding hands in a movie show when all the lights are low may not be new. But I like it. How I'm mad about good books, can't get my fill. And Franklin Roosevelt's looks give me a thrill. Holding hands in a movie show when all the lights are low may not be new, but I like it. He likes it. I love it. He loves it. How about, how about you? It's become more or less traditional for our friend Pat O'Brien to join us here in the old Kraft Music Hall on the closest Thursday we can find to St. Patrick's Day. Tonight he comes straight from Universal Studios where he's recreating for the cinema a role that he played for 39 weeks on the Chicago stage. Soft-spoken copper, Dan McCorn in the hit show Broadway. This characterization of Pat O'Brien's is a soft-spoken, slightly sarcastic, thoroughly imperturbable Irishman who, even under the most aggravating circumstances, never loses his disarming calm. For example, uh, well, there was the time that he was assigned to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles and tried to teach a low-geared mister and his backseat missus how to operate their newly acquired jalopy. Before stepping into the car, he said, um, Now, before starting this lesson, suppose you tell me what kind of a driver you'd like to be. Well, is there more than one kind, officer? Sure. Careful drivers, and then they're Los Angeles drivers. Mm. Uh, could you teach me to be a backseat driver? 
You look as if you had a natural talent for it. Come on, get in. First thing you do is step on the starter. Oh, yeah, the starter, the starter. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Where would the starter... Uh, star- oh, don't tell me now. I know it's... Uh, I'm sure the salesman said there was a starter on this thing. While he's looking, officer, tell me, uh, where did you learn to drive? It was about 15 years ago, madam, on the Burma Road. My! How romantic. I didn't know there was a Burma Road 15 years ago. Oh, yeah, sure. They had those little signs along the highways for years. The starter, the starter. I wonder if I could have left it in my other pants. Here's the starter. Step on it. What's the matter with this car? Sounds a little like asthma. You know, officer, I bet you're right. Asthma runs in Harry's family. Yeah, I know. I've heard him sing. (laughs) Should I step on the starter again, officer? Well, if you can find it again. Oh, boy, listen to that motor. You'd never guess about this bus secondhand, oh boy. Thought you made it yourself. The man who sold us this car said it was sound in every car. He wasn't kidding. How'd you happen to buy this mechanized Mickey Finn? Well, you see, we just got around to buying a car because, well, Harry didn't think the automobile was here to stay. This one seems to be. <laughs> Let's see now. Where's that starter again? Let me see. Harry used to say the automobile would never replace the horse. Priorities are apt to bring horses back. <laughs> Not Harry's. They'd be ashamed to come back. You know, they got rights to put luminous paint on these starters down here so a fellow can find them in the dark. You know that? Yeah, they ought to do the same for you. You've been in the dark for years. <laughs> While you're down there, push that starter and let's get on with this lesson. Oh, hurry, Harry. Come up here where you can see the scenery. We're moving. Yeah. yeah it's always nice if the operator of a car is in a position to see the scenery. <laughs> you started the car while it was in gear. Hey, look at me. I'm driving. <laughs> and nunnies, too. Nunnies. You're a marvelous teacher, officer. Only half a lesson in Harry's driving. No hands. All right, Gene Autry. I cut the switch. We're still rolling. Put on your foot brakes. Okay, we got new brake liners. On all four wheels? No, I got them in the glove compartment. Uh, good idea. They last longer. Yeah. See, Harry, isn't that just what I told you? Would you believe it, officer? The man wanted $50 to put those brake linings on the wheels, and I just said to Harry, I said, now you wait till you learn to drive this car before you spend another penny on it. Mm-hmm. Well, step on the brake anyway and see what happens. No, my head. Well, that's one way, cleaning enough of those safety stickers off the windshield. Now you can see where you're going. Luckily, your old brakes still hold. Never mind those silly little details. Let's get driving. Mm -hmm. Before we do, there's one more thing I want to explain. All highways are divided into three lanes. One lane for normal driving, one lane for passing. Now, if you should want to park, which lane would you choose? Priscilla. Harry. Now, let's see. Where's that starter again? It was it was down here a minute ago. It's All right, a... find it and push it. Yeah. Great work, kid. Made it, huh? Yeah, now climb back to the seat, and I'll show you how to shift gears. There are three gears. First, second, third, or high. Say, could you simplify that? I have trouble remembering. Well, first, second, and third. Help you any. Call a win place and show. <laughs> now shift. Like this? No! Not like that. Look out! Congratulations, you hit two cars. 
Pretty good, huh, Mary? Made a billiard. <laughs> I don't suppose you care whether you dent your fenders. Oh, no, indeed. We think dented fenders just give a car that's lived in look. You know, I've been thinking uh, if I can learn to drive like this, maybe I ought to turn in the car and get an airplane. I could learn to fly in no time. Just keep driving like this, you won't need an airplane. You'll have wings of your own. Tell me, officer, how long will it be before Harry gets his driver's license? I'm going to put a recommendation in the first thing in the morning. Oh, a recommendation to the license bureau to hurry me license? No, to Leon Henderson to hurry and take away your tires. <laughs> yeah, but that would leave me having to walk in the St. Patrick's Day parade. Well, if there's anything better way to parade on St. Patrick's Day than a walk, is there any way to better on foot and singing an Irish song? An Irish song, is it, huh? And would you care to hear one, me mother? Her who was Katie Harrigan taught me? Three years ago this very night, I left the port of Cork. If that's the way you're going to sing it, you better not go back. Uh, is that so? I got that version straight from the Harrigan side of me family. Uh-huh. Well, my mother was a McGovern, and she tells me it goes like this. Let me hear it. Three years ago this very day, I left the port of Cork. And on a ship from old Aaron's Isle, I landed in New York <laughs> without a friend to meet me there and a stranger on the shore. But I wore an honest Irish heart and fortune came galore. Shake hands with your Uncle Mike, my boy. Shake hands with your sister Kate. Here we go. Sure, this is the one you used to swing down in the garden gate. Shake hands with all the neighbors and kiss the Collins all. You're as welcome as the flowers in May that bloom in Donegal. There came Rannigan, Frannigan, Milligan, Gilligan, Duffy, McCuffy, Malarkey, Mahone. Rafferty, Lafferty, Donnelly, Connolly, Dooley, O'Hooley, Muldooney, Malone. Madigan, Cadigan, Lanahan, Frannigan, Fagan, O'Hagan, O'Hooligan, Flynn. Say, whatever happened to Riley? If Riley can't rhyme, he can't be in it. You're as welcome as the flowers in May. In dear old Thank you, Pat. I still like it as a ballad. You know, some unpremeditated melody crept in there, but entirely premeditated. Here is Ken Carpenter. For families where there are youngsters, we'd like to suggest a food that's wonderfully nutritious. A cheese food as digestible as milk. Rich, mild Velveeta. Velveeta is so popular that Kraft provides it not only in a half-pound package, but in a thrifty two-pound loaf. And right now, during Lent, that two-pound Velveeta loaf can be a real help with your menus. Think what different main dishes you can make with smooth-melting, tantalizing Velveeta. A Velveeta souffle, puffy, light, and exciting. Steamed rice tossed in a golden Velveeta sauce. Broiled fish topped with toasted Velveeta slices. Well, I could go on and on, but I want to remind you, particularly you mothers, about Velveeta's special nutritional advantage. This cheese food helps supply milk protein, milk minerals, vitamin A, and vitamin G. All cheese is fine, nutritious food, of course. And we stress this right now because this week is Cheese Week. So tomorrow at your food dealers, get Velveeta and stock up, too, on all the other craft varieties your family enjoys so much. All our friends keep knocking at the door. They've asked me out a hundred times or more. But all I say is leave me in the gloom. And here I stay Within my lonely room Cause I Don't want to walk without you 
walk without my arm about you, baby. I thought the day you left me behind. I take a stroll and get you right off my mind. But now I find that I don't want to walk without the sunshine. Why'd you have to turn off all that sunshine? Oh, baby, please come back. Or you'll break my heart for me Cause I don't want to walk without you No, sirree Danish confrere, Victor Borgie. He has been... Our Danish confrere, Victor Borgie, has been investigating the source of inspiration responsible for many of our most beloved compositions. This evening, we hear his findings. Expound, Victor. Yes, Bing. You know Paderewski? Uh, Paderewski. Uh, Pader... What do you call him? Pader... I call him Paderewski. What do you call him? I call him Pader... Para whatever you say, Skeet. Good. <laughs> he was sitting in his garden, and he saw a little mosquito, you know. See? And then he got inspiration for this little famous minuet when he tried to catch this little mosquito. <laughs> but he never caught it. <laughs> Rossini had a friend who stuttered. It wasn't much, only when he was talking, but he didn't talk much because he was stuttering. So nobody knew he was stuttering, but somebody told me. <laughs> and he was bald, this friend of Rossini's. He was very bald, and Rossini said always, it is better to be bald than to have no hair at all. <laughs> and this stuttering friend gave Rossini the inspiration for the overture to Wilhelm Tell, on account of his stuttering. 
later on he died. <laughs> a famous composer went to the opera to see a ballet, and one of the dancers had a terrible hiccup. It was very annoying, and the composer felt very sorry for her. So he went home and composed a little piece of music for her for the next time she had this terrible hiccup. So nobody would see or hear anything. And here's a little piece she danced to. Because he died too. <laughs> Strauss, Johann Sebastian Strauss, was eating cheris, and when he spit out the stones, he got the inspiration for the blue Daniel. <laughs> but he'll never die. <laughs> Beethoven wrote nine symphonies, you know that being. Nine, yeah. Do you know how he got the inspiration for the nine? Not to hear. Oh, it's very simple. You see, he has written eight, and he wanted to write one more. <laughs> That's right. Liszt, Franz Liszt, was invited to a very fine party, and on his way there, he got the inspiration for the second Hungarian Rhapsody, number two. Either of them. And... Uh, he was so excited, so he rushed to the piano and tried his composition out. But he couldn't play because all the other guests came to him to shake hands with him. He was so famous. And that's the reason why he had to compose those intermissions in the beginning of the second rhapsody. That's why it is like this. How do you do, Mr. Oh, how do you do? How do you do, Mr. Lee? Oh, how do you do? <laughs> Could you let me have a Fendel Friday? <laughs> and later on, he got something to eat and drink. He got most to drink because he wasn't very hungry. And uh, that's why he composed further away this way. And now he becomes ill. Thank you, Victor. That was a very instructive chalk talk on harmony, composition, and uh, contrapuntal confusion. <laughs> Later, you might perhaps come back and play something by Offenbach? Yes, I'll be off and back. Yes, do that. Do that. In the meantime, here's Mary Martin and the story of Jenny. <laughs> there once was a girl named Jenny. Whose virtues were varied and many Excepting that she was inclined Always to make up her mind And Jenny points the moral With which you cannot quarrel As you will find Jenny made her mind up when she was three 
She herself was going to trim the Christmas tree. Christmas Eve, she lit the candles, tossed the tapers away. Little Jenny was an orphan on Christmas Day. Poor Jenny, bright as a penny, her equal would be hard to find. She lost one dad and mother, a sister and a brother, but she would make up her mind. Jenny made her mind up when she was twelve. That into foreign languages she would delve. But at 17 to Vassar it was quite a blow. That in 27 languages she couldn't say no. Jenny made her mind up at 22. To get herself a husband was the thing to do. She got herself all dolled up in her satins and furs. And she got herself a husband, but he wasn't hers. Poor Jenny, poor, poor Jenny. Her equal would be hard to find. Deserved a bed of roses, but history discloses that she would make up her mind. Jenny made her mind up at 39. She would take a trip to the Argentine. She was only on vacation, but the Latins agreed. Jenny was the one who started the good neighbor policy. Jenny made her mind up at 75. She would live to be the oldest woman alive. But Jen and Rom and Destiny play funny tricks. And poor Jenny kicked the bucket at 76. Poor Jenny, bright as a penny. Her equal will be hard to find. To Jenny I'm beholden. Her heart was big and golden, but she would make up. She would make up her mind. Time marches back. 1856, Franklin Pierce is president of the United States. 1856, the accordion has just been patented and is squeezed into many orchestras. 1856, Tom Thumb is starring in P.T. Barnum's production, Dread or the Dismal Swamp. 1856, when women were saying... Say, Harry, what's this mean? What's what mean? What it says here in the newspaper. Can you read it? Of course I can read it. Then why don't you know what it means? Well, because it says here that in Pittsburgh, they've organized something called a Republican Party. What's hard to understand about that? Well, you don't mean to say they're going to run a candidate against the Democrats. Why not? The American Party does. I know, but will this Republican Party get any votes? (laughs) They sure will if the Democrats renominate President Pierce. Will they? Well, if they asked me, I'd tell them James Buchanan was the only man who could win. How do you know? You wait to see if James Buchanan isn't elected president in 1856. Honest, Harry. You know everything. Yeah. (laughs) So you heard that new tune that's just come out? Mm, Who wrote it? A young, uh, young Ohio boy goes to Otterbein College in Waterville, Ohio. Was it a college tune? No, no, no. It seems to be about two slaves who loved each other until they took one of them away. And a song like that was written by a college boy? Mm-hmm. Can you beat that? Hmm. A sophomore named Benjamin R. Hanby. The song goes something like this. There's a low green valley On the old Kentucky shore Where I've wild Many happy hours away A-sittin' and a-singin' 
by the little cottage door where lives my darling Oh, my poor Nellie Gray, they have taken you away, and I'll never see my darling anymore. I'm sitting by the river, and I'm weeping all the day. From the old Kentucky will be the 75th anniversary of Benjamin R. Hanby's death. But darling Nellie Gray has become an American folk song. And here from Carpenter is another message for American folks. This week is Cheese Week, a time when there are great displays and specials on the famous varieties of cheese and cheese products made by Kraft. It's time to lay in a good supply to help you with your Lenten menus. This cheese food, Velveeta, is certainly one must for your shopping list. And because it's Lent... I want to be sure you know how to make delicious cheese sauce the easy Velveeta way. In the top of your double boiler, melt one-half pound of this cheese food with the delicious, rich, mild cheddar flavor. And then stir in one-third cup of milk. And there it is, all done. A glorious, tantalizing cheese sauce to pour generously over vegetables, shirred eggs, or seafood, or rice, noodles, or macaroni. A wonderful sauce to fold into a fluffy omelet or to pour over toasted sandwiches or any one of a dozen Lenten specials. Besides wonderful flavor, Velveeta helps supply milk protein, milk minerals, energy, vitamin A, and vitamin G. And this cheese food is digestible as milk itself. That's nice to know when you hanker for a Velveeta snack at midnight. There's a half-pound Velveeta size, of course, but now, particularly during Lent, it's smart to get the two-pound Velveeta size so that you'll have plenty for slicing and spreading as well as for the hot cheese sauce. 
Remember, this is Cheese Week, and make a mental note now to put Velveeta on tomorrow's grocery list. Dr. Crosby, yes. uh, do you know why mm. I think Deep in the Heart of Texas is such a hit tune? Oh, the publisher will tremble to hear you say that. No, no, just That's a knock. That'll put the song on. I know, show. though. You know what they really like about it? What is it? What do you it's think? That, that clapping, you know, that... Now, of course, you do it this way, sort of a Charleston, you know. Syncopated, kid. Yeah, and then I have my own special way. And what is that? Just listen to this. <laughs> Wingy Manone is, uh, well, as all of our clients surely must know, he's the trumpet virtuoso whose exploits have provided the wool for many a yarn spung here in the old craft music hall. The last time Jay Winston was on the premises, we gave you a complete chronological report of the events leading up to his recent wedding. This evening, we bring you the complete story of how he prepared himself, his background, his schooling, his rigid upbringing. The complete, uncut, unabridged version, exactly as rejected by Sinless Passion magazine. The Society Life of J. Winston Manone, or They Gave Him the Bird in the Gilded Cage. While other children of his set were born with silver spoons in their mouths, Winston was born with a cornet mouthpiece, brass. At the early age of six, his father called Winston aside and he said, See here, Nipper, it's time I prepared you for your place among the 400. You're familiar, of course, with the 400. That's what you take off for each dependent. <laughs> Winston, in speaking of the 400, I am referring to the society dowagers. You mean them barrage balloons and strapless evening gowns? The lad was sharp as a shad. While his father was recovering from his stroke, the work of preparing Winston for society and furthering his education was continued by his guardian, Patrick O'Brien, who asked him, Where would you like to prep Winston? Which of these three schools do you prefer, Lawrenceville, Petty, or Hotchkiss? Give me that Hotchkiss. <laughs> no, son, you mean Hotchkiss. I mean hot kiss. I know what I'm doing. After a few years' private tutoring, Winston entered college. We have a telegram here from the alumni of the school requesting that the college remain nameless. When Winston's guardian visited him at school, he asked Winston what athletics he had taken part in to win his letter. Winston replied, I'm the string changer on the yo-yo team. <laughs> it was here at college that Winston met a splendid fellow. One... Heathcliff Carpenter. <laughs> Taking Winston under his wing the day he arrived, Carpenter said, Cigarette? <laughs> Newt thinks. You know, I fear the tennis season will be frightfully dull this year. Father is plowing up the court to plant potatoes. Gad, you deadly smelly. <laughs> I do hope you have the proper toggery for the quad, Malone. White flannels are positively a de rigueur. And turtlenecks are definitely coming in. By the way, Manone, what do you think of turtlenecks? I don't know. I never necked a turtle. <laughs> Jolly fun. You must try it sometime. By the way, have you ever shot grouse in Scotland? No, but I shot crabs in Philadelphia. <laughs> 
Yes, I've heard that you come from a long line of Manones with the bones. Of course, you're coming to the Tate Ensemble with sewing in the summer house tomorrow. Sandra Shushnik will be there. However, does she look? Terrible. She's improved. Wingston attended the tea dansant that weekend and danced with Sandra. While they were jitterbugging one number, Winston spun her around and failed to catch her hand. She was out of print for 15 years. <laughs> it was at this party that Winston met Sharon Martin, society's number one glamour girl. Bowing politely, Winston graciously invited her to dance, saying, Hiya, squirrel, let's twirl. Ooh, a Harvard man. Are you jesting? Any resemblance between me and a Harvard man is purely coincidental. I've never seen you before, but you must have been away a long time and suffered much. <laughs> that haggard look, the gray about your temples. I'm resigned to the onslaught of the years. <laughs> Carpenter tells me our birthdays are on the same day. Would you be interested in a joint celebration? That depends on the joint. <laughs> it's next Saturday. I'm having my coming out party. Sorry, that's the day another friend of mine is having a coming out party. Mine will be at the Ambassador. His will be at Alcatraz. <laughs> oh, then why don't we have a little get-together of our own on Friday? We can have dinner at the Waldorf, and then we can go dancing on the roof. Not me. The last time I went dancing on the roof, I got choked by a clothesline. <laughs> Nevertheless, Winston joined Sandra for her coming out party. He wore his first formal attire to the affair. A tuxedo he stole off a fight announcer. <laughs> Winston seemed a little ill at ease in his starched shirt, and Sharon asked him... Winston, aren't you a little stiff in that tuxedo? Stiff? I never touched the stuff. <laughs> it was with this party that Winston finally arrived in society. There was simply no stopping that couple. They won the mug for the most gruesome twosome. Just breezed in the event, and shortly afterwards, Winston won the admiration of the crowd when he and a small group of musicians, slightly overheated from standing too near a chafing dish, wound up the party by playing That's a Plenty.
Winston, that was sharp as jailhouse Java. That's really putting plenty of plenty into that's a plenty. We're going to be catching you soon over at the streets of Paris, I hope. Meanwhile, in a slightly contrasting musical mood, Mary Martin goes operatic on us with nothing less than Les Fils de Cadiz. <laughs> few women in Washington who were appointed at a dollar a year, Mary I. Barber is food consultant to the Secretary of War, assigned to the Quartermaster Corps. This makes Mary Barber the only woman in history ever to hold such a position, and although not technically a member of the armed forces, Miss Barber is advisor on the selection of food to our rapidly expanding army. In other words, it's her job to fill that ever-loving stomach that an army travels on. Feeding nearly two million hungry soldiers a day, that really sounds like a man's job. Why, Bing, feeding men is a woman's job. <laughs> I get it from some of your boarders that they're the best-fed soldiers in the world. Your cooks must be pretty good. They get plenty of experience serving over five million meals a day. Over five million meals? Goodness. Miss Barber, I wonder, 
Would you tell me something I'm sure will interest women all over the country? Certainly, Mary. What is it? What kind of can opener do you recommend? (laughs) Now, Mary, don't forget we're asked to conserve tin. So we have 30 local buying points for perishable foods, where they buy about three and a half pounds of vegetables per week per man, around 65 pounds of cheese per month for every hundred men, and we used up nearly two million eggs a day. Two million eggs? Two million eggs. Sounds as if every time a hen goes, it's a bundle for Barber. (laughs) Oh, it must be quite a thing to walk into your neighborhood grocery store and say, uh, now let me see, I'll have 16 tons of potatoes, a few cold cuts for lunch, oh, about $100,000 worth will be enough. Oh, yes, we do need some milk, say about 2 million gallons. Oh, uh, yeah, and then off you go to the lumber yard. Why the lumber yard? Toothpicks. Yeah, oh. That must be a sweet check Uncle Sam picks up for all those groceries. It costs about 50 cents a day to feed each soldier. Wouldn't it be wonderful if a soldier could feed a woman for that? (laughs) Tell me, uh, how does the Quartermaster Corps manage to prepare menus for so many different camps and still stay within its budget? Oh, Mother O'Brien, the little homemaker. Well, we send a master menu to all the camps about two months in advance. If they followed our suggestions, today's dinner would started with barley soup and crackers, then roast veal or beef, mashed potatoes and gravy, buttered peas, and lettuce with mayonnaise dressing. For dessert, vanilla coconut pudding. And, of course, with the meal, plenty of bread, butter, and coffee, as with all Army dinners. That beats the businessman's lunch at my favorite drive-in. Well, we've had boys tell us that they didn't know what good food was until they got into the Army. I've heard men say they didn't know what good food was until they got married. Began to miss it. (laughs) Does the change from home cooking to Army diet affect the boys' weight any, Miss Barber? Uh, Trotter is our expert on weights and measures. (laughs) I understand you're something of a food expert, too, John Scott. Well, all my life I've been eating. Well, truly, John, we found that the average enlisted man gains eight to ten pounds during his first few months in the Army. Ten pounds? Heavens to Betsy. (laughs) (laughs) Say. Heavens to Betsy. Speaking of cooking, Miss Barber, I, uh, I suppose the soldiers have a favorite dish. Well, all men do, don't they, Jerry? For instance, what's your favorite dish? Lana Turner. (laughs) You must pardon Jerry, Miss Barber. Uh, He has delusions of grandeur. Really, though, what's the soldier's favorite dish? Lana Turner. (laughs) No, I mean uh, vittles. Oh, well, they seem to prefer beef. Steak? Oh, yes, naturally. And next to steak, they like mashed potatoes. That's the best place for mashed potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Barber, with the Army spending so much time working out planned menus... Do they approve of sending the boys extra food from home? Approve of it. We encourage it because the men like it. Although our soldiers eat better than 60% of the civilians in our country. Well, keep up the good work, Miss Barber. We have to, Bing. No matter how many meals you put into a soldier, there's always room for one more. That there is. That there is. Before we toss a salute to the feed and clothing and toting branch of the Army, 
The ever loving quartermaster corps. Is there anything special you'd like to say? Yes, Bing. I think every mother in America should should know that if her son is in the United States Army, he is better fed than any other soldier in the world. We are keeping the pledge made to the American people by Major Ed- General Edmund B. Gregory, the quartermaster general, when he said, we will deliver the goods. No matter how large an army we build or to what part of the world our soldiers go, the quartermasters will be there to help keep them rolling to victory. Thank you, Mary Barber. And here's the song of the Quartermaster Corps with some special lyrics aimed at your department. We're the gang that feeds the army With their three square meals a day When the routine tasks are over We're still in there earning our pay With the bacon, spuds, and beef stew Just like mommy cooks for you We'll beat the Nazis, Japanese With vitamin B and calories From the quartermaster commissary store We're the gang that keeps things moving At the front and post to post When a soldier has tough going We're the guys he needs the most From the day he joins the army Till the time he's home once more If he should have to shoot a ride The guy who's fighting by his side The quartermaster corps From the song of the United States Army Quartermaster Corps, we turn to the head of the KMH Quartermaster Corps, Ken Carpenter. Next week, food dealers all over America will be featuring the fine Swiss cheese made here in this country. For next week is National Swiss Cheese Week. How long has it been since you've had some of this particular variety of cheese that's nut sweet in flavor? Swiss cheese and crackers with fresh fruit is a corking dessert. That delicate Swiss flavor is a natural with salads. Swiss cheese and ham on rye bread? Oh, that's a sandwich classic. And right here in America, we make Swiss cheese. That's the match of that made anywhere in the world. So remember next week, watch for your food dealer's displays of Swiss cheese. And tomorrow and Saturday, remember to purchase generous quantities of cheddar cheese and cream cheese and cheese spreads for your family's enjoyment. Kraft has a variety for every taste. Why, these are great days for cheese lovers.
a highly interesting arrangement, John Scott. Only a man your size could swing an anvil with such vigor and virtuosity. <laughs> Look, if you're really neat now with that baton, you could glide gently into uh, miss you, huh? I miss you Since you went away Than I can say, dear. Daytime, nighttime, nothing I do can make me forget that I still love you. Kiss you. In my dreams I kiss you Whispering Darling, how I miss you Tell me Do you ever miss me As I Forget 
kiss you In my dreams I kiss you Whispering Darling, how I miss you Tell me Do you ever miss me As I miss you But for a few very important words by Pat O'Brien, that's all we're going to get to in the old craft music hall this evening. Next Thursday, the same time meeting took up tonight, our regular group will be augmented by such welcome visitors as Dr. Watts, I mean, uh, Nigel Bruce, Alan Jenkins of the cinema, and the slang consultant from the picture Ball of Fire, Lester V. Berry, who wrote The Thesaurus of Slang. That's next Thursday evening in the Old Craft Music Hall. And until then, uh, what's on your mind, uh, Pat O'Brien? Well, nothing, Bing, that isn't in all of our hearts. The conviction, not the hope, not the prayer, the firm conviction... The United Nations will be victorious. Must be victorious as long as we stick together. It was our own Benjamin Franklin who said, we must all hang together or assuredly we shall all hang separately. So buy bonds regularly week after week. That's the finest way you have of showing your faith in your country and your country's friends. The United Nations all fighting for what the United States once won and wants to keep. You know what it is. You've said it over and over hundreds of times as you sang America. But we learned the words to America when we were very young. We didn't quite understand, and we learned them by rote. We rattled them off like, my country, tis the sweet land of liberty. Now let's stop and think about these words. Stop and think and say slowly to ourselves, my country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride from every mountainside, let freedom ring. My native country be, land of the noble free, thy name I love. I love thy rocks and rills. Thy woods and temple hills and my heart with rapture thrills like that above. Our Father's God, to Thee, author of liberty, to Thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us with Thy might, great God. Our King. Tune in to Craft Music Hall next week at this same time to hear Bing Crosby, Mary Martin, Victor Borga, Jerry Lester, John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, the Music Maids and Hal, and Bing's special guests for that evening... Nigel Bruce, Alan Jenkins, and Lester V. Berry. The Kraft Music Hall comes to you from Hollywood's Radio City.
goodness me, it's six o'clock. I worked at the first aid late. And dinner hasn't started yet? I have a defense meeting at eight. Oh, we'll have dinner on the dot. Something, my pet, that will please. By chance, it wouldn't be some more of that swell macaroni and cheese. You said it, my dear. Your guess is a winner. We'll have that marvelous, quick, craft dinner. You bet it's a winner. Fluffy, tender macaroni drenched in rich cheese goodness. That's what you get in just seven minutes cooking time with a package of craft dinner. One package serves four, and all four will go for craft dinner. Get some tomorrow for quick meals. It's craft dinner. The Rudy Valley Seal Test Program with John Barrymore and Joan Davis will follow immediately over most of these same stations. Johnny Fraser speaking from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome back. Uh, I have to say that that performance at, at the end, reading by Pat O'Brien, just really uh, gave me goosebumps. Just an an excellent reading that just helps you uh, reflect on the meaning of that song. That will do it for today. If you uh, have a comment, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. I welcome your story or that of loved ones who served during World War II. Ken Curlin provides our opening theme music, KenCurlin.com. I am your host, Adam Graham. This uh, series is provided as a service of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio, GreatDetectives.net. <laughs>